We're good to go. Whew. Sorry. Baruch HaMaboyim Hashem Hashem Berechnuchem Eves Hashem. Welcome to our weekly, we mean weekly Wednesday night. Shirdi Lanishmas Nachmiyaki Ben Sihirsh and Batsheva Chana Ola Shalom Bas Ibadu Rebavrom Shiyich Yad Mevesim Vagayme Um... This is Parsha, Parsha Vaeda. The Shabbos, the Shabbos, the Shri, the Shvat. Or as we benched last Shabbos, the Shvat. And of course, as we know, Shvat has many different dates within it that are significant, of significance. The Shri, the Shvat itself has a significance, which we've spoken about in the past. Then in the month we have the Yud Shvat, which is the day that the Stalkus of the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Chabad Rebbe, and the day of the Nesius of the Rebbe <coughs> of Lubavitch. Um, we need to have a double kugel for Shabbos. No, we need an extra kugel, of course, because it's a Shredish. Let's not forget that. Um... You have to add something, an extra piece, an extra extra thing to the meal. For Rishchidosh as well, there are those that have, in Sephardic meaning, they light candle on Rishchidosh. The women light a candle for Rishchidosh by night. So they would, of course, light before Shabbos candles. They would light an extra candle there as well. Um, they should make sure they light the Rishchidosh candle before they light the Shabbos candles. They usually, when they light the Rishchidosh candle, they say Rishchidosh Tov Mavarach. They usually light after Meir because then it's Rishchidosh. But since it's not possible, because it'd be Shabbos, therefore they should light it, of course, before they light the Shabbos candles. Pashba Eda, as we know, we've spoken many times, begins the ten plagues. The ten plagues with which Egypt was smitten for the message that the Almighty wanted to send them, the Egyptians, so that, let my people go. Vaida is Vav Aleph, Vav is six, and Aleph is one, therefore seven. So in Pasha's Vaida there are seven Makis, there are seven plagues, and in Pasha's Boy, which is Boy Bay's Aleph is three, there are three plagues. The ten in total. And then we read, of course, in the Haggadah by the Seder table of different opinions how many plagues there actually were, how many plagues the Egyptians suffered in Egypt and how many they actually suffered by the splitting of the sea. <laughs> you know, if you ever think about what Mesha felt like, there's nothing to talk about. There's, you're not going to comprehend a Mesha Rabbeinu. We can't wrap our minds around what Moshe Rabbeinu was—a person, a person, a human being born to a mother and father—but yet went three times up into heaven, spent forty days and forty nights thrice without eating or drinking, and of course, needless to say, sleeping. One time studying this first for the first luchas, taking the first luchas down. The second time, entreating the Almighty for forty days, praying to the Almighty to forgive the Jewish nation, and the third time to bring the second luchas. So you're not going to un- comprehend or wrap your mind around what is Moshe Rabbeinu made of. What we do need to understand though, <coughs> what he was going through. He is stopped by the Abishnah, by the snare, the burning bush, given instructions to go down to take the Jews out of Egypt. We heard the dialogue we studied, we read about the dialogue that went back and forth between Moshe and the Abishta, the Almighty. And Moshe saying that I'm not fit for it, I don't, I have a stutter, I have a this, I have a that. Just to throw out there a Dvartera for Yeshabah's table, by the way. The beginning of the parsha it says, "Hain 
B'nei Yisrael le'shamuel. I have said this many times. Ve'ech yishmeini farai, v'ani aral sfasayim. They, the B'nei Yisrael, are not listening to me. They're not hearkening to me. How will Pari listen to me? How, can Pari, how would Pari listen if they don't listen? Ani aral sfasayim, he says. And I, I stutter. I have a bad a speech impediment. This is what Moshe says to the Almighty. Now, the argument, of course, is from Moshe's part, saying that the Jews are not listening, and he's reckoning on what's called, the Rashi explains, as a Kalva Chayma, which is the lighter and the more stringent. If the easier job, which is the Jews are not listening, then how is Pari going to listen? That's his logic that he's using here. But finally, he says, why? Because he's a speech impediment. It doesn't flow. I have a speech impediment. The Jews are not going to listen to me, and, and Barry's not going to listen to me. Why say, what is the Lushan? Heim b'nei Yisrael, they, the Jews, l'sham didn't listen to me in past tense. Eich yishma'eni fari, how will Barry listen to me in the future? And then to say that he has a speech impediment. Cat, wrap your mind around this one. Moshe Rabbeinu is getting a message to God. Dear God, you told me go to the Jews and tell them your message. Pokoid pakadati, I remembered you, and I'm going to take you out of the exile. <coughs> if you recall in that conversation, says Moshe, I asked you, what should I tell them? Who should I tell them said this? What is your name? Moshe tried to get out of one of the holy names from God. What is your name that I should say, you know, sometimes you say, and who should I say is calling? <laughs> so he says, so God told him, So Moshe says, you know what, I went. I did exactly what you told me. And I told the Jews that God is taking you out of Egypt. You know what they answered me, he says? Moshe, do us a favor, leave us alone. Moshe, let, let, me, let me explain to you, Moshe, there's an issue here. Currently, I'm under Obamacare, because he was Arab also. Um, we have a shed that we live in, which we call home. It's a roof over our head. We have a job, which is hard, and they beat us for it and everything else, but it's something we go out to every morning, we come home to in the evening. We have our family here. We have our routine here. We're complacent. Moshe, please, don't, don't rock the boat. So Moshe reports back to God and says, Hain, they, B'nai Yisrael, the Jews, lay Shomoy light, did not listen to me. They don't want to hear about it. So Moshe raises his shoulders and says, Eich, what will happen, God Almighty? Yishmeini Farai. If Pari is going to listen to me. And he's going to say, okay, take the Jews out. They don't want to go. He's going to say, take them, and they're going to say, no. Anir al I'm going to be stuffed. My mouth will be stuck. I'll be tongue-tied. I'll have nothing to say. So that's the gist of the Pasuk. That Heim B'nei Yisrael Eli, the Jews already didn't listen to me, they don't want to go out. So stop telling me to go to Pari, because Eichish anybody, what happens if Pari listens? I'm going to look like a fool. I'll have nothing to say to him. Anyway, the Almighty says to Moshe, go to Pari and get the Jews out. So he goes to Pari and he says this and he says, whatever God tells him, throw down your staff, Moshe. Throws down the staff, it turns into a serpent, it turns into this, it turns into the ends. And then the serpents, all the Khartoumi Mitzrayim, the magicians of Egypt, also do the same trick, and they also make their sticks, their staffs turn into serpents. And then the Pasik says a very interesting, you have to watch how the Pasik is written. The Pasik says, The staff of Aaron consumes the snakes, the staffs of the others. What transpired here?
Aaron took his staff and he threw it to the ground and it turned into a horrific looking snake, serpent, a dragon, fire breathing probably. The Khartoumi Mitzayim, the Egyptian magicians, the staff, the Pare staff, followed suit. And they took their staffs. And they threw it on the ground. And they made their staffs into serpents with their black magic. Then, Moshe grabs the tail of the serpent and turns back into a staff. And they do the same. Then the staff of Aaron goes and eats up all the other staffs. Not Aaron's serpent, which would have been, okay, his serpent is stronger than theirs. His staff, it reverted back to a staff and then it consumed the other staffs. That was the miracle that was performed here in front of Pari. So this miracle takes place. Then they do the, perform the miracle of the first plague of Dam, of Tzvardeya, of Kinim, of Orev. Bring me a cup of cold water, please. And they bring, he's bringing one after the other. He's bringing all these makis. And Pari keeps saying, no, no, no. I will not let them go. It's getting frustrating, God. You keep sending me, and you keep telling me to do another one, another one, another, and I keep doing another, 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 and I'm not getting anywhere. I look like a total idiot. Because this idiot keeps telling me, I don't care. They tell a story. It's not necessary, if you're going to quote the story, do me a favor, leave my name out of it. Chaimel, with his wife Sora, thank you very much. Chaimel and his wife Sora were two poor people, and they lived a very simple Jewish life. And Pesach was coming, but Chaimel was an ignoramus, shall we say, an amaretz. And he did not know what to do. How do we prepare for Passover? And neither did his wife. So his wife says to him, Chaim, well, you know what? If I'm not mistaken, our neighbor is a little more learned than us. Go knock on their door and ask them, how do you make Pesach? What do you do? So Chaim reluctantly goes out to his neighbor. But he's embarrassed. Knock on the door and ask, how do we make, what do we have to do for Pesach? So Chaimel has a different idea. He goes to the window. And he looks in the window. And he says, let me see how they're preparing and I'll know how to prepare. He sees the wife is screaming at the husband. She has the mop and a broom in each hand and she's beating on the husband's head. He never was sitting cowering in the corner and she's banging away on his head. And she's screaming and yelling and kicking him. <laughs> Needless to say, Chaim is mortified. This, this, this is what you got to do to prepare for Pesach? I don't want to do this. Anyway, he goes home. He comes to this house. His wife says, No, what did they tell you? It's quiet. He's mute. He's not saying. He's, not, he's definitely not going to repeat what he just saw. What did they say to you? He takes a cup of water, fills the cup, fills it with water, makes a bracha, starts to drink. Maybe she'll leave him alone. And she starts getting more and more irritated. Finally, she takes the broomstick <laughs> out of frustration starts beating Chaim over the head. What did they tell you already? What did they say? How do we prepare for Pesach? Chaim will never sitting in the corner cowering and he's crying and his tears are coming down his face from the pain and he says, 
but, 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 but you know already, why did I have to go look by the neighbor? <laughs> Says Moshe, <laughs> out of sheer frustration, you know the outcome already. Why do you keep doing these things? <coughs> you could take the Jews out without any, any, any of these makas. And never mind that. Why the dialogue? Why do I have to keep going back and telling them? Just give them ten makas. Give them all in one day. I don't care what you do to them. And then let the Jews go. Why do I have to keep having this dialogue with Pari? And this is therefore, says the Abish to Meisha. Each time you go is recorded in the Teda. Teda Lashon all. Each time you have a dialogue with Pare, even though it's Pare, the Russia, the wicked Pare, there is still a Tayelas to this. There is still a reason for it. And it's a lesson for each and every one. And therefore, you need to go back again and again and again until Makis Becheres, until the Jews will be freed. One of the makis that I mentioned this week's parsha is the borod. Here in Mamtir Beis Mochor Borod Kovid, chapter nine, verse eighteen, Perik Tes Pasuk Yudches. Rashi takes the words Kais Mochor like this time tomorrow. And he explains, Ko'eis hazeis lemachar, exactly like this time tomorrow. Sarat la'isrita ba'kesel, he made a mark, he scraped a mark on the wall, lemachar for tomorrow, k'shdigiyah chama lekan, when the sun reaches this point, yered ha'barad, the barad will start to come down. We have to understand this whole story here. How does Rashi know that Mesha didn't only set a special time with Pare when the bird comes down, but that he actually made a mark in the wall to say that tomorrow at this point when the sun reaches this line. And don't tell me this is the only way to tell time. Because they definitely had their forms of telling time, whether it had been a sundial, or uh, the sun on the water, or whatever it might have been, the sun shadows. They knew exactly how to tell time, what, where it was middle of the day, where it was evening. Where it was it. So why did Moshe have to make this line? Not why did he have to make the line, but more so, why is Rashi elaborating and telling us, or telling the Mechamesh the Mikra, the child learning Pasuk, that he made this line? Perhaps we can explain it. When he comes to warn, warn Pari about the next Makkah, the Makkah of Borod, he tells him, this time, you'll know that there's nobody like me, says the Almighty, in the whole land. Which means to say, this Makkah, more than any of the previous plagues, will prove the actual greatness and strength of God. So therefore, when Moshe elaborates and says, this time exactly tomorrow, It's as if Pare sees that not only is God's word punctual and that he does and he, fought, and he comes through with everything he says he's going to do, but he's exact, precise. Exact time he said he's going to start, he starts. This way, there's no way he could doubt that this was the hand of God. 
Therefore, Rashi needs to tell us this act of Moshe that he scratches out a line and doesn't just say just around this time tomorrow. Because not only was the Borod a lesson to Pari, the time frame was a lesson to Pari. The time that the Borod came down, this itself was a lesson to Pari. To show him that the Almighty is on top of it to the last minute second. And you couldn't rely, you see, we look later, when it comes to Marcus Becheris, it doesn't say that. First of all, Marcus Becheris was at night. Secondly, Moshe says to Pari by the Marcus Becheris, the, the plague of the firstborn, around Chatzos Halayla. Now, everybody immediately pounces on that and says, I don't understand. We know that the Almighty showed Dafka the punctuality and showed exactly what time he was going to strike each plague. Why does by Makas Becheres, by the plague of the firstborn, does he not use the same expression? Does he not say, exactly at midnight? Why did he say around midnight? And the answer is, because he is concerned about the Khartoumi Mitzrayim. The Khartoumi Mitzrayim The Khartoumi Mitzrayim, the stargazers of Egypt were not so prompt. Because they were not so prompt, therefore, Meshach did not want to say, Bachat Salayla, exactly midnight, and they would be off on their calculation. Hung up? And they would say, it's midnight, when it wasn't midnight. Or they would say, oh, we missed midnight, or whatever they might say that would change it. So, Moshe says, but here, Moshe doesn't do that. Here, Moshe gives them exact, the exact amount, the exact timing. Because he didn't want, again, that the Khatumi Mitzrayim should say that it was off a minute or two. So, therefore, we must say that since this was part of the lesson that Moshe was teaching Pare, we must therefore explain that he actually indeed made these engraving, engravings in the wall to show exactly what time the sun will reach when the bird will begin. This is no longer in the hands of the person. Only the Almighty Himself could do this and can complete this. And therefore, since the line was on the wall, it was not possible any mistake should be made. What was the Borod? Reverting back again to chapter 9, verse 24. Tes Chovdalid. Vahi Borod ve'esh mislakachas b'seich ha-Borod. Rashi says, Neis b'teich neis. A miracle within a miracle. Ho'esh v'haborod, the fire and the hail, mu'urovim, were mixed. Ultimately, it says Rashi, Velasa, it's saying, Koinam, Asusholim b'nehem. Fire and ice don't get along. Generally, if you try to put your ice cube in the fire, it's not going to have very good results. However, to show the miracle within a miracle, they made peace between between themselves. When we were very little, we had to read a reader in school. And um, it was a story of a little boy that went to work. 
And the first day, the person paid him with a coin. And he's proudly holding the coin in his hand. He's coming home with his day's take. And he tripped. And the coin rolled out of his hand, and he lost it. He came home very heartbroken. His mother said, No, my kind. You work today? He says, Yes. Did you get paid? He says, Yes. So where is it? He says, He paid me with a coin. With a coin? Yes. Where is it? I was holding it in my hand and it fell. I lost it. I, my entire kind. A coin, she tells him, you put in your pocket. Lesson and a dry, well-driven home lesson. Mommy tells that child, a coin you put in your pocket. You don't walk around your hand. The next day, the young fellow goes back to work, and he gets paid at the end of the day with a pound of butter. What did mommy say yesterday? I have to do with my salary. I need to put it in my pocket, right? So he puts the pound of butter in his pocket. Needless to say, he came home and it was running down his legs. And mommy said, you got paid today? He says, yes. He says, where did you get paid? Butter. Where is it? I put it in my pocket like you told me to and it was all melted. Oh, my nourish kind. Butter you put in a bucket of cold water. So that it stays butter. Okay. The next day he takes with him a bucket of cold water to work. At the end of the day, the Balabas pays him with a cat. <laughs> and he tries to put the cat in the bucket of water, and you know the results that come out of that. Anyway, this is <laughs> a story that I had to read in my class 55 years ago. Um, oh my gosh that's absurd I hope you're coming February 4th for Shabbos right yes he's making faces at me listen Obama, you know that Trump took back that money that, that, that Obama gave to the PA, to the PA. He's, he's defunking it because we can do things over there with IRS also so. <laughs> anyway the shalom was made, the peace was made between the ice and the fire, and they come together to punish the Egyptians. They're getting pelted by hail, and when the hail pelts them, it sets them on fire as well, and sets everything on fire. The Sefer Maskil David, which is a, a commentary on Rashi, and he explains this Rashi, there's four ways of explaining something. Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Soid. He explains it with Soid, the secret of Teira. And he says this combination, this mixing of the fire and the water, shows the generalization of the attributes of Rachamim, of compassion, and of Din, of judgment. Because Mayim, water, comes from Shem Havaya, which is Rachamim, which is compassion, the name of God, which is spelled Havaya, Yud Kevavke. And Eish comes from Midas Hadin, which is Elikim. It comes from judgment. And therefore, they have the two different sources they come from. Hmm. So lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel Schultz, who just sent us $36 via PayPal. Um, yeah. So now, being together, the concept of Kuchibrichu, Havavaya, and Shkinte, Din, the compassion and the judgment being combined. Ali Deha Shalom through peace. And this is therefore now explaining how the Makkah, when it comes to this plague, Rashi writes, like we said before, that he made an engraving on the wall, 
that the sun will reach to this point because the scrape in the wall, the scratch in the wall and also the sun reaching the wall this epitomizes the concept of unity between Kutshebrichu and Shechintei the Almighty and the Shechina this is all brought down inside from the Zayhar in Pashmishpat let us add a little bit to this Rachmim and Din compassion and judgment within this plague we understand the simple form of the Pasuk who's that? Makas Borod was especially different than all the other Makas and all the other plagues with two extremes one extreme it begins the concept of the Din a very very severe Makkah like it's explained in chapter 9 Verse 14 and 15. This time, says the Abish, I'm sending it full force to you. On the other hand, it was the smallest, the here they had an a opportunity, a way to get away by running into the houses. As it says over there clearly in chapter 9, verse 20, they ran to the houses. Those who feared the word of God ran to the houses. We can therefore perhaps say that the concept of the unity the unity between these two opposites the fire and the and the ice is the whole concept of the engraving of the scratching into the wall telling that this is exactly the time the plague is going to start for although the Makis themselves came from Shem Havaya from the name of God that means compassion we explained many times that he says Ani Havaya no I am God if you want to follow up in the parsha, Zion Periches Zion no sorry chapter 7 verse 5 chapter 7 17 chapter 8 18 etc where at the end of the, the Makkah or before the Makkah before the plague the Almighty says he'll know Ani Hashem that I am God and by Barad itself it says that the Almighty himself gave the thunders and the Barad that Shem itself was higher than time the name of God, that's Yudke Vavke, is higher than time. Why is it higher than time? Because it's Haya, Haiva, and Yihya. Past, present, and future. All in one. And together, this comes to the Tachlis Adiyuk. It gets exact, exact time when this Mak is going to arrive. And this is therefore engraved in the wall. Many years ago, there was a young rabbi who was ordained, smicha, wasn't married yet, and he was going out to some remote town in Russia to make the Seder. To make a Seder for Passover. They were anticipating in this town 300 people to come to the Seder, men, women, and children. Okay, nice amount, a nice Seder. 
So needless to say, he had to come out a few weeks before to arrange. He comes out a few weeks before, and he goes to the rabbi of the town, the rabbi of the town introduces him to the mayor, and they tell the mayor what they want to do. He's coming from America, and he's coming here to make a seder for Passover for the Jews. How many Jews? We need a place for about 300 people. The mayor is thinking and scratching his head, where could I possibly give you a venue in this town that would be able to fit 300? He says, well, there's one place, the old communist hall. What the communists in Makhshimam did is they would set up in every town the biggest possible building and this would be the communist hall. This is where they had their functions, their gatherings, their propagandas. Now the communism had fallen. The hall, the building, was dilapidated. It was left desolate. A museum. Not even a museum. It was nothing. Not used. No, not being used. So the mayor takes the two rabbis to this place, and it's like a rundown, but it's like a big. It's going to take some work, and there's ample time for the work. Let's get, roll up our sleeves. And they brought in people to paint, to clean. And of course, needless to say, to make this new kitchen, to kasha the whole kitchen, so that the food could be cooked there and had to be supervised, make sure no chametz gets in there, and to make sure that it's all Pesach dick, and to make sure there's enough and there's everything. It was a balagan. But it was a beautiful job. Job well done. Comes to Lael Seder, and there was a stack of 300 people signed up. And they all come to the hall. And they all sit down after a while. Took a while to get everybody to sit down, obviously. You know how Jews are. One of the reasons, you know, they used to complain, Elal stands for every liftoff always late. <laughs> used to say the word Elal used to stand for every liftoff always late. And they didn't understand why is Elal always live. Why do you always leave late? Why can't they leave on time? Doesn't the airport control the flight? Yes, it does. But the Jews get on the plane. And everybody sees each other. Chaim was master. Shleima, how are you? Chanchi, how is you this? And how's the ends? And nobody's sitting down. <laughs> the stewards, the stewardesses are screaming and yelling. The pilots on the microphone. Everybody gets seated. Put on your seatbelt so we can take off when they can't get out. Because can't even Nobody wants to sit. Yeah. Yeah. You never saw. You never flew along. It happens all the time. They're always screaming, yelling, everybody please be seated, please get a seat, please get your seat. It's a riot. And this one's taking his peklach, and this one's putting his stuff up, this one's putting his stuff down. This one's got his thousand film in the middle of the night. He needs his thousand film at 11.30 at night flight, and he's looking for his thousand. What are you looking for your films? Because when I wake up in the morning, I want to be able to daven. Sit down now, put your seatbelt on. Oh yeah, I admit it, I forgot my kapolich up on top. I need my kapolich, what do you need your kapolich, what do you need your kapolich for now? I need my kapolich, that's it, it's derech. Hey, genug, Shane. Anyway, here it took 300 people to sit them all down to the seder. It was a trick. But he did it. He gets them all sitting down. And he had a loud voice. He clears his voice, clears his throat. And he had a translator. And he introduces... Tonight we're going to have a Pesach Seder. Some of you haven't done it in 50 years. Some of you have come for the experience now for the first time. And some of you heard this good food, so you came. But Baruch Hashem, everybody here is Jewish. And everybody wants to have a Seder. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a Seder. And he makes Kiddush, and they drink the first cup, and they drink the second cup, and they sing the Haggadah, and they tell explanations, and he's explaining the Haggadah to them, and everything, and there's a translator doing everything in Russian, and they have Russian Haggadahs anyway, so it's really going very, very well. The meal was a hit, from Hitland. All the food was amazing, these people never had such food. They bench, 
And they're about to start Halil and Nitzah. Prior to starting Halil and Nitzah, actually in Chabad, we pour the Yonavi's cup before, before for benching. But they, have, they pour the fifth cup. Everybody's got their fourth cup. They're very happy about that. But now they pour a fifth cup. And the young rabbi gets up and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, We've been discussing the exile of Egypt, the goddess of Egypt, the exodus, etc., etc. We, on the, on the Nail Seder, on the night of the Seder, we, light, we fill a fifth cup of wine. This cup is referred to as Kos Shalel Yahu, the cup of Elijah the prophet. And this resembles the redemption of Mashiach. Mashiach is going to come and take us out of exile. All of a sudden, one of the people stands up and he says, Excuse me! Everybody's head's turned. Listen, Rebbe, he says. Slushna, you made a beautiful Seder. Balshoi Spasiba. The food was amazing. The wine is delicious, the matzahs were fantastic. The Haggadah, the story of Egypt and the plagues and everything that was going on in Egypt, it brought back memories from beautiful times. Listen, Rebbe, I didn't have problems, because there's a little problem here. We're not little children here. Don't sell us on this Mashiach story. Don't sell us on this freedom of us all going to Israel, being taken out of exile to get... That's already... You're exaggerating. You're overdoing it. You're overstaying. You're welcome with us. And everybody is looking around at each other and shaking their heads. Yeah. And Etzim Zach, he's telling them, this is the way, the, the rabbi overstepped his boundary with this Mashiach story, we don't want to hear about this Mashiach story. Baruch Hashem, with Shatu Dishmaya, the rabbi had a comeback. And he says to the fellow, can you do me a favor for a moment? I want you to look around the room here. Don't look at the people. I don't want you to look at the men, the women, the children. I'm not interested in looking at that. I want you to look at the walls and the ceilings, <clears throat> the floors, the doors. Do you recognize this building? He says, ah, yeah, of course I do. This is the communist building. <laughs> he starts to laugh, the rabbi. He says, I want to ask you a real direct question. Fifteen years ago, if I would have told you, I would have come to your house and pointed at the communist building, which everybody shook in fear when they saw it. It threw fear over everyone when they saw the building. But I would point you at that building and I would tell you, in fifteen years from now, we're going to make this building, is going to house a Seder for Pesach. You would have not only laughed me in the face and spit me in the face, you probably would have taken your baseball bat and hit me over the head. You would have said, I'm a total Michiganer. I ask you, my friend, he says, are you sitting here? Are we having a Seder in the house of the communists? The man was dumbfounded. And everybody around had the same expressions on their faces. They all saw, you know you're right. This is the house of the communists. And we're sitting here having a Seder. That means that the Almighty can do very, very great miracles, including sending Mashiach. I want to... Focus on another part of the Pashu, another one of the plagues, the second plague, the Tzvardeya, the frog. 
We're going back, referencing to, I believe, chapter 8, verse 2. Periches, Pasek, Beis. Vayet, Aharin, Es, Yodei. Now, Aharin has to do this, and has to do the Dams, Vadei, and the Kinim. Because Moshe had to show gratitude to the Nilos for saving him and couldn't turn it into blood. And the same bringing out the amphibian, the frog, and not, they're not causing havoc with that either, because he had to show Hakaras Atev, the fact that he was saved, he has to show recognition. So, Aaron, Vayet Aaron, Fardeya, and the frog rose up. So, of course, the Ben Chamesh, the Mikra, the little boy, looks at the Pasuk and says, The frog? There were tons of frogs. We know the song, frogs here, frogs there. Frogs are jumping everywhere. And the frogs, and we even know we were told, the frogs went into the ovens, because they were Balmasidus Nefesh. God said, go everywhere, they went everywhere, even the ovens where they weren't, where they weren't able to survive, because they were amphibious, they needed water. So in that case, Vatal Hatzfardea, the single frog rose up, the Ben Chama says, how, what, when? Sarashi says, don't worry, my child. Tzvardeya achasaysa. It was one Tzvardeya. You see, now he leaves out a line here, Rashi. He doesn't want to say the whole story. And the Tzvardeya came up out of the water and was walking down Main Street, Egypt. There's a Main Street in Egypt too, you know that. Not only in Queens. Main Street in Egypt. All the Egyptians saw this big, ugly frog marching down Main Street. Buildings were tumbling. So they came out with their sticks and they started to beat the frog. I mean, who's scared of hitting a frog? But when they hit the frog, says Rashi, (laughs) he opened his mouth and all of a sudden started shooting out. Tons of frogs started shooting out of him. Whoa. And this is how the plague came about. Now, if you're keeping score at home, Gemara Sanhedrin, Samach Zion, towards the bottom of Ahmed Bez. In Sanhedrin, Samach Zion, Ahmed Bez, the Gemara says, What was this Tzvardeya? What does it mean that one Tzvardeya came out? He brings two explanations. On Vatala Tzvardeya, the Tzvardeya went up. One is Das Rebbe Lazar Kiva, that there was one Tzvardeya, Hishritza Umalach Leretz Mitzrayim, and it shredded, it shedded off, and it gave out offspring all over Egypt. Vidas Rebbe Lazar Ben Azariah says the Gemara, and Rebbe Lazar Ben Azariah says something else. She Tzvardeya Achas Haisa. It was once Vadeya. Shirkalahem Vahimbao. He screamed out, he called out to all the all the frogs from all the neighbors, all the neighboring towns and countries, and they all came running. Rashi does not use either explanation. Rashi takes a total third one, as we said, and does not explain anything like it says in the Gemara. He says a whole different explanation. That they were hitting the, mother, the, the frog and everything came flying out. Which obviously is more of a sci-fi than actual nature. I mean, let's get real. The giant frog coming down Main Street and people beating it and it's spitting out frogs. Only in a sci-fi you're going to find that, right? Not natural. He's got my son Heather on me. You got it, Samach Zayin, at the bottom of Ahmed Bez. 67, bottom of side 2. The truth is like this. What's Rashi's question here? It says, Vatal Tzvardeya. So Rashi has a question. What's the one frog? 
Rashi's question is, when the Almighty commanded Aaron, he tells Aaron, Niteyes Yodcha Vehela Es Hatzvardeim. Lift up your hand, and the many, many frogs should come and, and overflow all of Egypt. So Aaron's, the commandment to Aaron was to bring plural frogs. And here we see, he brings a singular. So the question Rashi asks is, how was Aaron completing the commandment that God gave him? God said many, you brought one. So you can't say what it says in... That in the way the Gemara says it. Because in that case, Aaron did not bring the other frogs. No. If you're saying that he screamed and the Svardaya came, or that he gave out, he just gave, he gave birth to them. So Aaron, in essence, only brought one frog. Okay. There was no action on Aaron's part. It was all on the, on the frog's part. No action on Aaron's part that made it Plural. So Rashi tells us that they beat the, the frog. This way we see even Aaron's commandment is, is completed. Although he brought up only one frog. It was a special frog. A frog that had, when you hit it, it reproduced. It, it, it didn't reproduce, it shot out. The word mitaze. When you hit the water, it causes ripples. Okay. That's mitaza. It causes ripples. You're not making any new water here. You're not making anything new in the water. You're making more ripple. You're making ripples in the water. So you're hitting the water is affecting the water, but it's not changing the water itself. The same thing is with this svadeya. The fact that we're hitting the, uh, the Tzvadeya and the other frogs were coming out of it didn't change the Metzias of the Tzvadeya itself. didn't change the essence of the Tzvadeya. It was one Tzvadeya that Aaron brought out. <clears throat> but ultimately, this Tzvadeya, by hitting it, it brought out all the frogs. And therefore, he did complete his mission. But how? Only by the people hitting it, and therefore Rashi is answering the question that Muhammad Shemikra has, how does Aaron complete his mission? Okay. Right, there were other stories I wanted to tell, but unfortunately not going to work. Let us hope, Mehat Hashem, that with the inspiration, the kayak of the makis, of the plagues, that ultimately brought about the Gulas Mitzrayim, should bring about our redemption this very Shabbos, and we should find ourselves in Yerushalayim, Irakridesh, this very Shabbos, together with Mashiach, Shabbat, Shalom to all.